0: you <music>
1: brilliant minds and looking at the world around them. How do they 360 themselves and 360 the world? Jamie Neal, the host, asked many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. Here at 360 Yourself, we are very proud and honoured to be partnered with General Assembly. We embrace this with open arms to a new adventure. General Assembly is a global tech education company focused on the most in-demand areas today. So that's anything from UX, digital marketing, coding, data science, data analytics to travel writing and ethics. Our slash their main goal is to get you where you want to be. You can find out more about them at ga.co online or across all socials at ga London. We also encourage you to please rate and comment about us on Apple Podcasts. If you do enjoy what we bring to your ears, we'd love to hear about it. We're supported by General Assembly, and that's right, you can get a 25% discount for their services. Promo code is 360yourself25. The code will be valid up to £75 off any one of their classes, workshops, and boot camps and is valid until the 31st, 08, 2021. And it's not applicable to GA's full time, part time, or online circuit courses. Full T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome back to 360 Yourself. I hope you're having a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for giving us your ears to tune in to another brilliant episode of 360 Yourself. You have me, the host, Jamie Neal. Welcome back. So, today, we're talking about voice. The thing that I'm using now, my voice. No, um, we actually are talking about voice, but we're talking about your inner voice. Like, what is your voice? What do you say? What do you want to say as a person? many times in our life we get distracted and someone else's voice potentially could penetrate our voice and then it's not a pure voice it's not pure intention of us because we get sidetracked by other voices coming in and then it becomes so mixed and then you then you start going "Well, what's my voice what do i really stand for and this is what we're talking with lydia pang who was the creative director for Refinery29. She also was the senior creative uh, global brand director for Nike. And now she stepped away and started her own studio called Morning Studio. um, And it specializes in digital strategy and conscious storytelling. We all know about that, about storytelling. It's everything, isn't it? Um, So we're talking to her about what is your voice. Also, what's her voice where does she come from? What's her background? Where does she want to go with her work and her life? So, are you ready to be 360 yeah. Hey, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, how are you?
1: very very well thank you we were just saying we finally got this podcast up and running we finally got the episode because we've been talk- talking for a long time and i know a lot has gone on in your life so i think it's kind of a perfect opportunity just to catch up and see where your headspace is at
0: yeah for sure so much has happened for me in the last year especially um it's been kind of an amazing a really a really difficult but amazing time of growth for me both creatively and professionally but also personally and so yeah been through a lot i was obviously um, living in the US, working at Nike, and then um, that year in Portland, working at Nike was amazing, but also really tough, obviously, with everything that was happening in the world. So I kind of just decided to move home, take a minute, reset, kind of recalibrate, and almost just like think about what I actually wanted to do. I've always Mm. been so clear about my next step, my next career move, goals, get that next promotion, super clear and I to be honest last year I lost my way I kind of had no clarity for the first time which I was very uncomfortable with because I'm a very decisive goal-oriented person and so yeah this year I relocated back home to Wales which I never thought I'd do (laughs) and um I took stock took a minute which I also never do and then yeah started my own business my own studio
1: yeah it's it's fascinating isn't it when i i can also relate as well i'm very goal orientated and i believe and i've spoken to a lot of people about this i believe that a lot of people lost their sort of way or their not their purpose but they just sort of lost lost where they their path or where they're going and, and i also done that as well and i pivoted as many other people has pivoted but what what was it what was the kind of tipping point for you in terms of okay maybe it's not where this is the space i'm occupying at the moment but i can't be here and I don't see myself in another brand where I want to go. Where What was the tipping point?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. It was definitely bubbling away for a little while in me. Both my parents are entrepreneurs and creatives. So is my sister. And I was really inspired by them. I was kind of like the big giant sellout that worked for the huge corporate companies. And so um when i was in new york i was working for refinery 29 mission driven brand exceptional like ethos and so i was very satisfied there but in in my like kind of belly there was this feeling of like oh i still keep doing these personal projects though something's missing i i really want to be able to do something of my own with my name and and there's an element of like am i only as good as the cool brand or the cool city that i'm in or working for and and i wanted to sort of test that and be like maybe I am talented enough and cool enough to move to Wales and do my own thing. Um, yeah. Let's, let's I see. Mean,
1: it, I mean, it is a big move going from a big brand like and living in the US to Wales doing your own thing. Like, I mean, that's a humongous move.
0: Yeah. And I, I won't, Um, I'll be, I'll be honest, you know, in, in the spirit of, hoping this conversation inspires someone and makes them feel calm and safe to take a chance. It wasn't unpleasant and not easy and really difficult and has come with a lot of imposter syndrome. And, uh, you know, I've I've had moments where I'm like, did you make the right call? What are you doing? And it's been amazing for me actually to push myself as a creative out of my comfort zone, out of the like fancy email address or the great salary or the cool city, but to just be like, Come up with some ideas take some time for you and reset the type of creative you want to be because to your mm-hmm. point last year was it was a you know an, an enormous year for so many reasons for so many people and i was incredibly privileged overall but it was a, a reckoning really like what am i doing what am i contributing why am i in portland that's so far away from everyone yeah
1: I portland is, is, isn't even in america really it's like <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Portland a couple of couple times um, and a lovely place, Portland. Yeah, really but it, cool. It's just so far, far to get to. I'd always be like, oh, yeah. okay. I've got to get on the plane to Portland. Okay, it's fine. far.
0: Okay, it's far. Fine. And, you know, we were there for a very specific reason. My husband had always wanted to move there and hang out there and he's really into the outdoors and foraging. And so, and Nike honestly was a dream brand. It was almost like the goal all along to be like a digital integrated marketer, creative director. Okay, I've worked in New York, worked in media. The goal is really like a Nike, at least it was for me. I've always worked in like mission-driven marketing. Nike's the best at that, hands down. And so I was like, that's the end point. So it's kind of weird when you get there, you're like, oh, okay. Like the first six months, obviously I was like terrified that I was not good enough. And then I quickly earned my stripes and was like, no, I am. And made some cool work, met some incredible people, super smart people there. But then was like, oh, well, you arrived at the place you always wanted to be at. So now what are you going to do? Now you've got no choice but to take a bet on yourself and start your own thing. Um, and, and I think COVID just expedited that journey for me.
1: Mm. Or, or what people could have done as well is is work the rants and gone up and up and up and up. But then mm. you could have done that or you could have gone into doing your own thing. And and so my so my second question is, if you were so... Love the brand and the ethos and why did you not just stay there and raise the ranks
0: yeah that that i asked myself that a lot um yeah because
1: that's I what, was what i was quite i would have contemplated doing that as well i would have gone up and, yeah. up and up
0: and i was doing well you know i had some incredible mentors there and i could see that path for myself but honestly something was missing and i felt like i was doing myself a disservice by not looking all of my ambition in the eye, not trusting that my side hustles should be my hustle hustle yeah. and actually being, you know, that that little bit of like, yeah, all right, fuck it. Like, what's the absolute worst that can happen? And I'm, I'm a person that's always, I lean into what I'm good at. I don't, I generally will avoid anything that I think I might fail at. Um, I think that's just a personality trait. I like being good at stuff. Um, and so I felt like I owed it to myself to give it a go. Mm-hmm. And I knew at Nike, candidly that I would succeed. I would do well. I would become a great leader. I would make great work and I could see my path there really clearly. But then I felt like actually I would be missing out on the opportunity to test myself. And I'm so glad I did because not only was Nike an incredible learning opportunity, you know, they're now one of the client, one of the brands I work with in my studio. So I still get sure. to work on their incredible like brand, still a dream, but I'm doing it through my lens on my terms and I have a little more autonomy. You know, I worked a, a lot And not necessarily because there wasn't a good work balance culture there. It was just that I myself found it hard to have balance. I just used to work a ton. And I defined my personality, honestly, over the last decade through that, being busy, never having time for anyone, especially myself, and just working. And I just felt like I was becoming a bit one-dimensional.
1: Yeah. I I was talking to someone else this morning about balance as well. How do you find that balance and self-care within your personal work and your your, well, your personal work is in like your internal work for you need for you, but also your workplace, because I think a lot of people labor themselves by their work. Yeah, and that's what their identity is. And I think a lot and, and I know a lot of people were taken back by COVID because they lost their work identity, which then thus lost themselves.
0: Totally. Yeah. Great question. I think it does challenge you to consider who you are outside of that context and what you stand for. And I think luckily I'd spent quite a few years shaping my sort of creative persona around my belief system and my values and so they stood strong in fact I noticed that during that year as much as I was loving my job at Nike I still was seeking out personal projects that fulfilled that piece of me and so I published self-published a zine and it did so well and it was all about my Chinese culture and my background and the context of COVID and how obviously um the context of the Chinese cuisine and the Chinese identity over that year very much changed and kind of grew a sharper significance, given all of the um, racism that that the Asian community were facing. And so it was interesting and important that I did that personal project to kind of exercise something that I felt I needed to say. Um, I think because then upon leaving Nike, I knew that I wasn't just Nike. I was I was a person that had like a set of beliefs, a set of opinions. I'm a good creative. And now my, in my, with my studio, clients approach me very specifically for certain types of work, culturally driven, mission driven, anything about minority communities or empowering those communities. So it's interesting because I feel like the work that I threw my heart into is now the work that is like I'm known for. I, it's, I think that always makes sense, right? The work that you feel really passionately about and that kind of comes from the bones of you always ends up being the work that you're known for or that inevitably gives you success if you stick
1: yeah. in it. It's, maybe that's because people can see that that side of the work. It grows exponentially because you're really passionate about it. And I there's that saying as well, if you're not passionate about your work, it's not going to do well.
0: Totally, Yeah. Yeah, my, my dad used to say something super smart to me when I was in university and I was super hungry and I wanted to have a big fancy title and work in all the best big cities. And he was like, the best piece of advice I can give you is to find something that you really care about, really truly care about in your bones, get really good at it. And some someone somewhere someday will pay you to do it. And it was like such clear advice. Okay, be really passionate about something, get really good at it. And then the money will follow, the, the, the kind of path will follow. And that's exactly what happened for me. Anytime that I followed the kind of rungs of like different promotions or trying to like get ahead in certain companies or skip, skip, a lot, you know, the ladder, I just always kind of made lame work and felt a bit bored. Whereas when I pursued my, the things that I deeply cared about, the things that keep you up at night or, you know, in a good way and a bad way. I always ended up making work that either won awards or got attention, and that's inevitably what carved my career for me. Was work that was shaped around what I believe in.
1: Yeah, and and obviously you're now in Wales, and that is obviously going to change your perspective, and it's going to change the way that you think because you're going to have more time to yourself in the wilderness and in nature. Yeah. I, I I I'm also from a, a very small town called Plymouth, or in mean, Plympton, but it's in a city called Plymouth but it really changes the way that i think and feel because i'm so always around surrounded by nature yeah. and forests and the sea so it obviously the way that i operate and the way that i don't get so stressed too much now because i know i've got the sea down the road and i just go to the, for a walk on the sea and i'm i'm assuming it's the same for you as well you wanted more of that work life balance and you mm-hmm. can't it's different working in new york to la to <laughs> to, to like Wales, to like London, it's all very different.
0: It really is, yeah. It's interesting, I've noticed a different side of my creativity and my personality come out here. Obviously I'm returning home, but when I was here, honestly, I couldn't wait to leave. I was like, Wales is dull, there's no culture here, there's no diversity here. I was like, could not wait. And my parents were, were incredible. They're both very creative people. And my mum actually owns and runs a beautiful art gallery here, which is a real like destination. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, I feel like I have changed since coming back. And I and I was fearful, honestly, about losing relevancy. Like maybe I'm not like cool because I'm not surrounded by cool people and cool stuff. So what does that mean, you know? Mm. But actually having the headspace and the perspective here, having a bigger space, a bigger house, being able to like walk to the forest every morning, it does ground you in like, your mental health, what's important, balance, time is slower here. And so honestly, I can't be doing with the bullshit. And I was like that in my career anyway. But even now I'm like, no, I'm not about those last minute calls or those fire drills or some crit. No, like I work in a very calm, methodical way. Morning, my studio, which I co-founded with my friend, Sam. We are really methodical. Mondays are admin, new business, client calls. Tuesdays is for deep work, thinking, brainstorming. Wednesday, generally we'll chill or we'll do some something fun like this. Um, Thursdays again deep work Friday chill like we have balance in a really organized way I like things to be sort of calendarized and so I can kind of bring my brain to each day based on what is needed um but yeah it's fascinating as well because I think quite a lot of business ideas and projects have started happening like between myself my husband and my business partner around what could happen in Wales like what are like poetic and feral and punk place it's like the underdog of the UK and yet it's so beautiful and there's so much creativity here and so much heart we keep saying like there's an idea here in like creativity Wales the outdoors my husband has got a rewilding project so we're kind of thinking about how that all intersects with creativity
1: yeah what's a rewilding project what's that
0: so, like rewilding is essentially like stewarding the land but to return back to like how it was previously, giving it back to nature. Oh, so wow. encouraging like biodiversity. Um, it's it's an it's a it's a term that I think is being thrown around quite a lot at the minute, but essentially it is that. Um and he has a project that he's been working on for about, yeah, about the last six months. But I think coming back to Wales has really like pushed him because he's realized that. You know, Wales is intensely over farmed, like much of the UK. Mm-hmm. And there's an opportunity here to really give land back to nature in a way that also benefits humans and, you know, maybe is in service of creativity and ecotourism. There's like a few things yeah. that could make sense there. So we're cooking an idea around that. So,
1: so how did you guys meet then? Because obviously you're from quite different worlds. How did you guys meet?
0: Myself and my husband.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: we actually met um, on MySpace. Um, MySpace.
1: Wow, that was a long time ago. When
0: I, yeah, I was seventeen, so it was a very long time ago.
1: Oh wow.
0: (laughs) I'm thirty three. So yeah, it was a a really long time ago. We met on MySpace, and we did university, London, our first jobs in media and advertising. He's a soft. He's kind of like a creative technologist, web developer, designer right he, he's all about connecting physical and digital but then he's also like a nature nerd he's like a true generalist yeah. um and so yeah we did our first jobs together London for nine years New York for a bit he was working at Twitter and then we went over to Portland and now we're back so yeah wow. we've been together a really long time but our creative journeys and our creative growth are a big part of our love are a big part of our relationship because yeah we've always worked on projects together
1: that's so cool it's I think what I think what resonates to me is the idea of like coming back to home, but also the idea that you don't need to be in this buzzy, or this buzzy busy environment with the, in quote, cool people mm-hmm. to generate good work. I think people will, like I think before COVID, I, I was saying to someone last week as well that it, you don't need to be in London now. Like if you're in the UK, you don't need to be in London to be able to work and to network with people and to to create good work. Like you can now be anywhere. And that's what the brilliant thing about COVID has allowed us to be working remotely. But before that, it felt like you have to be in the city. You have to be in London. And I definitely felt that as well, that I had to be there at the right places and talking to the right people and doing the right projects and and all that sort of like malarkey. But now it feels like you can go home and you can still work with cool people totally. and and have more. But I, I wanna know like, why do we feel like that though? Why do we feel that we need to, well beforehand, we need to be in those areas where people feel like it's we're part of the the tribe or the community?
0: I think it's because like it's hard when you remove yourself from the padding and the context of culture, cool people, cool art shows, cool exhibitions and all of that stuff, you're kind of left there naked and alone with just your ideas. And so I truly believe that even before I left the city and I felt like, you know, fuck it, let's go to Wales. I All of my most inspiring like kind of mentors or people that I wish I had a career like did already had already quit the city. And, you know, I even gave a talk a few years ago at Cardiff Museum, which was so beautiful and surreal coming home and doing that, about how, you know, Welsh photography, and there's an incredible um, Welsh, especially female photographer scene here. And, you know, they were all saying, do we need to move to London? Do we need to move to Bristol? And I, I remember preaching, no, of course not. Coming, you know, having flown from New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so kind of, talking, kind of talking shit. But now that yeah. I'm here, I realize that the people with that perspective, they haven't got any distractions and they are confident enough in their vision and in their work that it will carry, it will get mm-hmm. there. And I think that's true. Like I've worked on some global campaigns, like most of my clients are based in America, um, huge brands all the way from Wales, like literally. And it, I, I honestly think my work is better for it because I have perspective. And that's not to say I don't love being overcharged for a coffee. I love driving up to London. <laughs> putting my eyebrows on, having a like fun, like I do that. Most, I probably come up to London like twice a month where I'll drive up, do a meeting, meet someone, chat with my business partner, because that's where he lives. We'll do, we'll do a workshop. Like I said, go to an art show, get overcharged for something and then leave.
1: Yeah, but yeah.
0: there's nothing better than being able to leave.
1: Yeah, I, I did a, if am working remotely, I did a Nike Japan uh, shoot from Zoom from my uh, kitchen table in Devon uh like last year and I thought it was the most fascinating thing it was like four days um and obviously the time difference is crazy I had to stay up all night and but it was I think I mean before if you told me before COVID that I'd be shooting something in Japan from from Devon on my kitchen table I just would never believe you (laughs) I'd never believe you and I think it's I think that's what, what it is like creativity is creativity wherever you wherever you lie and it goes back to kind of like Allowing sort of the, the community, because like as much as like the arts is a brilliant place, it can also be a very private community. and so if you're not in a very mm-hmm. privileged position already or in some circles and you're from the you're from Abba, Abba Wiswith, for instance, it's so difficult sometimes. Right? yeah you're from yeah' I'm from Abba Wiswith. It's so difficult sometimes to enter in that space, but now because we're so digitally savvy that we've moved past going, we need to all be in the same space, that now it's a lot easier to enter and to go to like a university or college in Aberystwyth, but also connect with someone from, I don't know, from Portland or the US and share work. And this is what also NFT platform has allowed us as well to these digital artists that really people didn't know now coming to the surface. And so COVID has done so much terrible things, but also allowed us to be, I don't know, for me it's connected us even more for me personally.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think it's um, interrogated storytelling I mean, the, you know, the enormous amount of like social unrest and the social justice movement and so many, so much that we've experienced in that space in the last year, I think has meant there's been a bit of a reckoning for storytelling. And so it isn't acceptable anymore to make average work and litter the internet. You will be held accountable for that now. And honestly, I think creativity is being held up to higher standards, which I think needed to happen because it was a bit of a fucking free for all before. And now actually it's, yeah, it feels like their standards are different.
1: What, what do you mean free for all? What do you mean in terms of the work that was generated had no well, sort of like substance?
0: I think it was it was less that things didn't have substance. I mean, if they did, I would struggle to recognize it because it was in a sea of, you know, iterations of itself. It, it was becoming like there was so much. And we were, you know, kind of content pollution, I think was at its highest and it was just impossible to kind of weed out a smart idea or an interesting idea. And, you know, one would hope that something interesting would end up getting forwarded to you or you'd see it, but it was just an abundance, saturation, I think, of creativity and, 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 and content. And I feel like now, because we're having to interrogate marketing budgets, because brands are having to really show up for a community in a way that's meaningful, because creativity is having to carry and art directors are having to figure it out of shoot in Japan, we're we're kind of suddenly held up to much higher standards to deliver creativity, I think, that both drives businesses, but also benefits communities. Mm. So I feel like actually it's like harder than ever to be a creative, but like funner than ever, because actually now you're not just littering the internet with shite, you actually are accountable to delivering something meaningful for the audience. And that's a lot of what morning is about, this idea of you know, conscious storytelling. And like, does this need to be said? And if it does, how are we saying it in a way that's meaningful in front of the lens, behind the lens, strategically? How are we considering bias, the gaze? How are we actually ensuring that if we're gonna make something, let's make sure it's to the benefit of the audience and it's pushing culture forward. It's just not adding more noise.
1: I agree I agree the one of the things what we were talking about beforehand is the idea of like what is an artist and what is a creative and what is the difference because you could say that an artist is so uh, internalized and trying to project something kind of emotion into the work that is impactful in a certain way whether that is culturally socially because it is coming from them because it's coming from a personal point of view
0: yeah but,
1: and and the idea that suffering for your art in quotation marks is sometimes labeled with artists but as a creative it's slightly different because we're thinking about the whole, the wider like overarching consumer ecom marketing yeah. or so i always say that i'm never i i wouldn't ever say that i'm an artist i would just always say am a creative because i think an artist would be a bit of a lie to myself um i don't know what your thoughts on that as well
0: yeah, similar uh, Similar to you. I think artists are um, have permission to like autonomously free flow through the different facets of their creative self. That's what we ask of an artist, right? We want unbridled ego. We want to see how they feel, what they feel and their messages. And that, I mean, I'm a massive art lover and art history geek, and I believe that art, you know, does inevitably save us. Those expressions push us forward as, as society and as culture. I am not an artist, I'm definitely a creative. I think creatives are people who have to consider scale, how how to tell a story to reach as many people as possible. It's more about storytelling, I think. And it's it's about shifting perceptions, uniting thought, considering how creativity sort of intersects with commerce how that you know how we can use businesses and brands as platforms for good like I think all those things can happen like you know messages with artistic intent and heart can come through creativity but inevitably creativity is a vessel for shifting thinking obviously best and most used when it comes to brands commerce and consumerism that's the facts of it but I'm 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 most excited about the idea of creating for as many people as possible using brands infiltrating from within and like you know using that reach and people's ego and desire to have things as a way to push messages that I think are important because that's reach that's scale loads of people will see that story if I was to sit here in Wales though and create art that was meaningful and important to me and my perspective it may be coming from the same place of intention how many people would see it though you know and yeah. maybe that's just me being greedy and wanting reach, wanting as many people as yeah. possible to see my stories.
1: I, I can relate to that in terms of the reach and the the impact from like your community. Like I said to someone a couple of months ago, I was like, I'm really fascinated about giving impact on a mass scale because I, if I really truly believe that this is this idea of, for instance, 360 or my idea, my, create, my creative is really going to impact and influence a lot mm-hmm. of people. I want to do it as many, as many, many people. And my friend said, oh, this is really interesting because I'm really, really fascinated with like the individual and I'm more satisfied and fulfilled impacting and influencing one person than I am multiple people. Mm. And we had this really interesting discussion about what, why is that? Why do I feel the need that I want to, give impact to a large number of people instead of having one person and have it. That's why you have like therapists who do like one-to-one rather than, so I was just fascinated with, with that kind of ideology.
0: Yeah, that is really interesting because when I create, I don't create with a huge group of people in mind. I do create with a persona that I want to reach. So yeah, that's, that is an interesting thought actually. I think it's more for me, it's more about mindsets yeah. And so if I can reach a specific, singular, pointed, potent mindset, I'll mm. be happy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, all fa- it's all just fascinating. But I, I think it goes back to then what is, what's your intention? Yeah. Like, where does it come? Is it your ego? Like, mm-hmm. a lot of people drive it from ego rather than, it's like, I was talking about the idea of um, uh, doing good things. Mm-hmm. Like, you can come from a, a point of view where I'm doing it because I want the the serotonin I, right. I do or you can come from it as i just want to do good but i also get the serotonin as well so it's the intention yes i'm doing good at the end of the day but where does that intention come from and yeah you go in the back of your mind go yeah i'm going to be creating something that's going to impact and i'm a part of it or you can go i actually just want to affect people in a positive way whether or not i know what people are going to see it
0: yeah, that's interesting, because that idea of a singular act of good, I think, is in in question right now, too. Like, even when I work with brands around how they empower specific communities to reclaim their narratives, it's kind of like, okay, well, that's cute. And that's kind of tokenistic, unless you bother to create a sustained commitment and sustained space for that good to happen. And so to your point, I feel like the good is about that intention, but it's about that intention showing up incrementally daily in some manifestation. It has to feel sustained.
1: Yeah. And how, and how do you feel that we as humans or we as brands can make that change and make it feel like, and, and actually make action in the long-term things rather than just like the one-off gesture or the one-off project.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's about peeling it away from that Ego moment, isn't it? Having worked in advertising, those delicious high media spend campaign moments where you feel like a king in advertising often don't actually push the needle culturally or even the business mm-hmm. and it, they're in service of ourselves and our and our creativity and that's why actually doing more digital strategy which is what I specialize in now people are like that's weird you don't get do the fun bit where you like do the shoot and you like see the stuff and I'm like yeah but it's actually more important to me to do the nerdy bit where I'm ensuring that a strategy makes sense for the year and I'm setting up a set of principles to ensure that you know whatever a brand is commissioning responsibly or whatever it is I feel more satisfactory with the idea of putting a sustained commitment in place than having that shiny singular moment. And I think I've had to, as a person that thrives off words of affirmation, I've had to sort of push away from my ego and my desire for credit there because I want the credit, right?
1: Yeah. That
0: delicious credit where you're like, oh, that looks really good. And people are like sharing it and you're like, fuck, I fucking came up with that. But you can't lay claim to that. I would rather know that I am creating sustained impact at scale with these big brands helping them be better helping them do good i would rather know that than have a shiny sort of can moment i couldn't care less honestly about that anymore
1: but eventually and it will happen that the people who who, who know you and know the work will know where it came from
0: yeah that so, does happen
1: do you know what I mean so it will it won't matter that you're trying to or you're trying to get the recognition because the people that need to know know who you are and know who who did it. Yeah I agree
0: and I think there's also a little bit of like anti-advertising right like essentially Morning is a digital strategy storytelling studio agency and it's just me and my business partner but that is essentially what it is but you know, we don't want to be the kind of loud, brash awards, you know, staffer, pull as many kinds as possible. I've been there. I've worked for some of the biggest ad agencies in the world. And I don't I don't want to do that. I want it to feel boutique and small and considered and bespoke. And I don't feel the need to aggressively scale it. I just want to in a kind of Patagonia type way just quietly chip away at it with the mission at the core. You know, I, I love that case study around Patagonia, never, never striving for enormous amount of revenue, aggressive revenue growth every year, but just continuing to like plug away at what they believed to be right. Mm. And through that, seeing slow sustain, sustained success. And I think that's such a nice, that's such a exciting new way of doing business and, uh, and creating. I think that's more of what we're gonna see. Strategists, I think honestly are the new creatives. The oh thing
1: really
0: yeah because uh, I feel for? like now it's about reaching the audience a message and of course the people who bring that to life will always be like I said king you know the typographers the like rock star photographers all of those people that have a depth of craft will always be important needed and push forward our industry but I believe it starts with the strategists and the people who are able to unpack a business problem give it a narrative Ensure that it reaches the audience in a meaningful way and isn't in service of the agency's case studies or whatever, but is in service of the business problem and the audience.
1: Yeah, just a pro- just a problem solver, basically. Yeah, someone exactly. A problem solver. That's all you want. Sometimes you just don't want you don't want all the, the the noise. You just want someone to come in, and just go. What, how do we solve yeah. this problem effectively? And gives a really good, clear message to the audience, and that's it. Exactly
0: and then pull in the right people because honestly i'm a cre- i'm sure i'm a creative director i've done my time in art direction copy i've done it. i've been here. i'm i'm such a frankenstein but the thing that i know to be true is that i'm not the i'm not the best designer i'm not the best art director i'm not i don't have the patience or the talent to be to be deep in the craft I wish I did. I wish I was exceptional at that, but I'm just not. And so acknowledging that I'm a hybrid and acknowledging that I have a skill in, in kind of being up here and pulling all the threads together so that it makes sense for whomever, either the audience or like a business case internally, I think has been like the unlock for me in my career. Cause I spent quite a lot of years feeling a lot of imposter syndrome. Like, oh, are you a strategist? Well, that's not very cool. Are you a creative, are you an art director? You know, are you a social writer? No, none of those things. <laughs> I'm kind of like a little bit of all those things. And I think my the unlock came when I, I just acknowledged that and I let it be because the industry does try and force you into a box to try and- It
1: really make, does. Make
0: you billable, make it clear. And well, I- what, what,
1: what happens to the people who are these multidisciplinary artists though? Who are p- poems, like dancers, mm-hmm. photographers, writers. I just go, I find those people really fascinating at parties when they go, what do you do? And they go, duh, 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 duh. I'm like, oh, oh my wait. God, that's great. that's great. And they seem to like put, when they do their work they seem to put all these skills into one. And I'm like, so when, it, when you come to working with clients or in the corporate sector, maybe they don't work in the corporate sector but how do people view them? And how do people utilize these people who have really good skills across lots of different things?
0: Well, I think you you answered it there by saying, identifying them by their skills, right? Because I think even a couple of years ago, we would have said, oh, I'm an art director, I'm a designer, I'm a creative director, a title, right? Whereas now I feel like the identifier, both at parties and on LinkedIn or whatever, is what can you bring? What's the output? And so if your skill, I mean, my husband's like this, he's such a ADHD genius, generalist, he does a bit of everything, he can code, he can design, he can all these things. And so I think, him embracing that he can wear different hats and be that generalist for clients is actually super appealing, right? Because mm. instead of a client having to staff up a team of five, they're like, Oh, this one dude can kind of do like strategy and he can like code it and he can design it or brief a dude. You know, it kind of has, the hybrids I think are the ones who have been underestimated as people that weren't billable, weren't clear. They, they, you know, they were being greedy. They couldn't decide which which craft they wanted to specialize in. But actually it's like that Buckminster Fuller quote around specialism being the death of us. And actually mm. we should all be hybrids and embrace as many facets of, of ourselves as possible.
1: Well, cause it, um, all, it all links though. That's what I don't understand. Yeah. Like, everything links. Like, so if you do one thing and you're doing slightly something over here, they, when, when you take a step back, you go, oh, well, there's definitely some similarities in there. So why can't I not, it's like it's like uh, that perfect thing that like once you learn Spanish, you can pretty much learn Italian. Yeah. You can pretty much learn French. Like really. it, all, it all makes sense. Of course, like Chinese is very different, but, then, <laughs> very. But, but yeah, but Spanish and French and Italian, like once you've learned one, it's pretty easy to like learn the well, other two
0: you say that, but I've, I've, over the years I've exercised my creativity with personal projects when I felt like either a role was really intense and I was doing a lot of managing and I wanted to be closer to the creativity and I've tried out all sorts of random shit, honestly, but it kind of culminated with my zine, um, last year or the year before now, my God, time is so, but, um, my, my point was that was about food and I don't know how to cook really. I love food. And I know how to design, I know how to brand, I know how to write. And so it was kind of that that product was the culmination of lots of different creative interests, none of which I'm exceptionally good at. But I think its success lied in the fact that I had a clear point of view and a lot of heart behind it. But the output itself, which was hard for me, because I'm a perfectionist, it could have been better, like it could could have been better. But that wasn't the point, you know, it was an exercise in letting it just be what it was in that moment. And I'm glad that it that I didn't uh, labor over it for years because it wasn't worth it, honestly. The, the, the beauty in that project lied in the cultural context of what was happening for the Asian community at the time mm-hmm. and creating awareness around that through food. So um, I suppose the lesson there was like letting it, letting it be and exercising the very edges of your creativity, even if you're not a chef or, sure. you know, I've done projects about floral design. No idea how to do that either.
1: <laughs> so talking about kind of about culture and people becoming so much more aware of different cultures and obviously because black lives matter happened last year and the asian hate that happened which is terrible i'm assuming now that now you have your own shop you can be much more culturally um driven with all your stuff rather than like a project is given to you in a corporate environment that you have to take on rather than now you can really inject precisely what you want in terms of your own voice and and the interest and really inject more your own culture into work.
0: Yeah, 100%. Although in fact, I was lucky and strategic in ensuring that my last couple of big roles were centered around, you know, diversity inclusion and mission driven work anyway. Mm. So, you know, Refinery29 is the creative director at that, you know, the whole place is about lifting and empowering the female experience. So that was like big check. Mm. And then Nike, of, of course, I was overseeing the women's narrative department. So that was all about the female experience and in all of its intersectional diverse. So I've been be- very lucky in that a lot of my big corporate jobs have demanded that of me anyway. Um,
1: and was that a plan?
0: I mean that was what my plan, yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 that was the plan that you wanted to be entered into these spaces. Yes. Yeah, 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 for that sure. That was my
0: that's my thing. That's the thing I'm really good at, having deeply uncomfortable conversations with people who know that they can do better or with brands that know they can be doing better and that's my like favorite thing to do is have those really hard conversations, create a lot of like good trouble and to also like shake things up a bit you know like the reason I wanted to work for Nike was because they're the best in the world at mission driven marketing and because I honestly felt like they could be doing better with women and I felt excited by that opportunity and that legacy mm. and so yeah I've been benef- I've, I've benefited from that and ensuring that my career went that way um, but then yeah of course morning is that whole my whole studio is is baked around that entire premise, conscious storytelling, um, you know, be it setting brands up with ethical guidelines, internal structures, which maybe feels like odd for a creative to do, but I believe that you know, behind the brief, behind the lens is where the creative starts, is where the inclusion starts, because unfortunately, a lot of, you know, tokenistic inclusion as you know, will and continue to happen, where people think they, you know, oh, we've done it, it's a super diverse campaign, you know, look at it, look at, look, look at every single scene it has a different person in it that identifies differently. And yet behind the lens is like all able-bodied, white, straight male, you know, and then behind the brief, similar similar, and those people are all congratulating themselves and I think even with the best of intention that is such a narrow bias and, and not a representation of the multifaceted culture and amazing world that we live in and so Morning's premise is really based on like how can we bring culture, data, audience, channel thinking like I don't want, it doesn't need to be like just impact driven i don't just want to work with charities or anything I'm, I'm most excited about working with brands who don't necessarily know what to do next or aren't getting it right yeah. and have a huge platform and want and have the intention and the heart to do better and want help and guidance on how to get there that's like the best work yeah. that, i that mean work.
1: The, one of them, one of my favorite brands at the moment is um uh, rihanna's brand versage Fenty, i think it's called mm-hmm. isn't it like i just absolutely i mean their show a couple of years ago their so fashion- good Oh, just incredible. And what just what they do now, like it's so relevant and so brilliant. And I think this is one of the brands that I look up to and go, more brands should be doing what they're doing.
0: I mean, but it's simple, right? When you look at it, not to undersell my entire agency, but it's so simple. You just look at the audience. That's it. Look at what the audience is doing, where they behave, what they're talking about, how they behave, where they are. That's all it is. Like that brand, that Rihanna brand is such a mirror of her target audience Mm -hmm. like their sentiment the things they care about and that's why that is so successful I think because and it's it's so simple to me that you know (laughs) all you have to do is like truly care about observe the audience, and then be agile and human in how you interact with them. That's that really is all it is. But it's so tough, you know. Having worked at big brands, I know how tough it is to be nimble and agile and respond to culture. And when you have layers of approvals or a huge brand behind you, I, I get it. Mm. But I think we're in an exciting juncture now where brands and agencies are being held to different standards of creativity, as I was saying. And I think storytelling is is the platform I believe that will change the world. And I know that. I know that it feels like silly because it's brands and people, you know, people are like, what? (laughs) But brands reach the most people. They are a vehicle for change and people engage with brands. They, you know, people want things. And when they see messages from those brands, it can literally change how someone thinks about themselves, their identity, the world around them.
1: Yeah. And also musicians as well. Musicians hold so much weight. There was, I don't want to, I don't want to bring him onto this podcast, but it was the guy that rapper, um, I, can't, I, don't, I don't want to say his name and I don't want to bring up the thing, but he said something not appropriate on stage yeah. a couple weeks ago. And obviously like people were so, and I was just be like, what are you what? doing? Like, yeah. why? Why say that? Like, why speak negative words into the space? But it's amazing how much weight these people have. And they're so sometimes unaware of their power. Yeah. That As I said, great power comes with great responsibility.
0: Yeah. And I think holding people to to be accountable for their actions and their words and the impact of them is really important. But then I think we're also at a t- in a time of, you know, a really toxic call-out culture and fear-driven culture as well, especially on social. You know, I spend a lot of my time as helping brands with how to show up on social in a way that's meaningful. And social's a minefield. It's tough mm-hmm. to, to figure out how to be meaningful there, how to speak with heart as a brand. And I think also, you know, Instagram especially is a very activated place right now. Um, And it has been the last year kind of the mouthpiece for a lot of people's political views and that that I think that it can be quite tough, it's been tough on my mental health, I had to take pause, um, especially when um, Asian hate was at its peak and I just felt like I was every day I felt um, response, I felt a responsibility to consume that content and to be informed. And to do something about it as someone with a vague, pla- you know, a vaguely large platform, I felt like it was my responsibility to speak about it, especially as I'm Asian myself. And I started feeling very low by the just relentlessness of it and, and the feed. And so, actually, I think as well, your point around accountability is good, but also I think that there needs to be a, a, a juncture for call out culture because it's kind of scary. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I have I have a lot a lot of friends who are Asian, and it, it, they would reach out and in our in our group, and they would just be like, "Look, I'm consuming it, but I just need like a day just to like process yeah. it because I can't believe it." And lot obviously we're friends friends with them, and so it's just like for us as well as like going, like, "How can we help as well?" Because like yeah. it's it's awful what's happening, and why are people so stupid? <laughs> like first of all, why are people so stupid in this? this really negative toxic space it's just like and it's yeah. just you feel so so sad for your friends who are who are witnessing that and they just feel so empty and just like why why is it happening to the world
0: it's true and it's it's in it's been very interesting actually over the last couple of months to see how popular i am as a female chinese creative director because people are trying to do good and pull you know female asian perspectives into projects right Mm -hmm. um and there's something interesting and conflicting about that for me I'm like well that's great because they want my perspective and they're acknowledging that they should have that perspective but then I'm also like that's kind of sad that I've only just been acknowledged out of the wake of something so dark and maybe it'll peter off and in fact that won't be of interest to them for long it's 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 like that tokenistic inclusion that I was talking about you know
1: yeah, I hope not. I hope it, it becomes just a standardized thing and then it just becon- yeah. it just continues rather than it just becomes like a fad because we don't yeah. want that. We just want people, like obviously most people I've been noticing on LinkedIn, all these people being promoted and stuff, you go, oh, brilliant, that's amazing. But I hope, yeah. I hope it carries on to the future. And that's what we're talking about longevity rather than short um, gestures and exactly. short projects.
0: Yes, exactly
1: yeah so as as we are coming to the end of our episode which is our, i'm really sad that we're coming to the end because i love talking to you you're great
0: <laughs> me too um, um uh,
1: what we love to do is ask our guests a uh, give back to our audience so this can be something that's inspired you it could be um, an art piece uh mm-hmm. it could be a poem it could be a film it could be I don't know, anything what would you kind of give back to our audience at, or and or your younger self
0: um a couple of things i think firstly the The lesson that I took for me to learn over, you know, the last decade, which is this concept of eat bitter, which is the name of my zine and also this tattoo. Um, But it essentially means like you have to taste, you you have to endure pain before you can taste a sweetness, like you have to earn it essentially. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, you know, as someone that's such a perfectionist and I've been so strategic and goal-oriented throughout my career, I haven't really given myself much permission or room to kind of like fail. And I think the last year and a bit has really taught me to endure and sit in the uncomfortable. And actually out of that, I think I found a lot of my creativity, my true creativity and made my best work. And so, yeah, that would be my, my first thing is to to remember that and to, to pause on eat bitter. And the second thing would probably be the most inspiring thing that I saw probably as I was growing up was, um, The Visual Essay Inside Ways of Seeing, John Berger's Ways of Seeing, which like kind of low-key changed my whole life because my, you know, my parents both really artistic and creative, but my mum gave me this book and I was always interested in brands and visual culture and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But when I saw this essay that was, had no words, it's just made up of images side by side and they question and interrogate subject, author, gaze bias, intention, and I didn't know what any of that was, but I was looking at it feeling discomfort, like discomfort, but also inspired by how these images were so powerful and um, confusing. And so I would say if anybody's starting out in creativity or they need an injection of something to, to find that essay, John Berger's Ways of Seeing is in the book because there's something so pure and clear about it that just makes you feel really excited about the potential the storytelling has to essentially change the world. So, yeah, I look at that book all the time when I feel shit or uninspired.
1: I will be buying that book. I'm going to add it to my collection. Yeah. I have I have so many books, and I've got like five books to get through at this moment in time. But I'm going to <laughs> order it. I do, I love, I'll get through them though, but I I love learning. I love learning and I love like just taking on new things and I will get through everything. But I wanna say thank you so much for coming on 360 Yourself. You have been 360'd, thank you very
0: much. (laughs) Oh, thank you, it's been really fun.
1: This is 360 Yourself and I'm Jamie Neal. Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms. Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts, and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself. Twitter at yourself360 and our host at JamieNealJN. Thank you for listening.